Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. Um, you're a pretty flexible group. I want to invite, uh, thank you that our friends Ashley and Chris are here from Messenger Fellowship, Colorado Springs. So great. Wave at us. Friends of C3, they work with John and Lisa Bevere, and um, we all are so appreciative of the Bevere's and all those that are serving with them. All right, our title is uh, Simply Jesus, and uh, um, Simply Jesus is a profound statement. Um, there's a little bit of uh, contrast, I think, as we come into this season anyway. We think the cross is a little bit of a, on, on the horizon, it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of an offense you know, it's not smooth, it's, you know, it's, and uh, it just reminds us of both of our vertical relationships and our horizontal relationships, how that God can take our horizontal relationships, the negative, and turn it into a positive. He can do that. And uh, when we come to this specific week, the Easter week, I think about, um, once again, a, a fresh understanding of what does the cross really mean? And uh, for some, um, I think that we... Um, Oh, gee, what can I say nice? Um, no, I mean, the cross is beautiful. My, my grandmother's favorite song was, I cherish the old rugged cross. Beautiful hymn, I suppose. But actually, as followers, we should be cherishing the, the empty tomb. <laughs> this is an access point for, to another dimension for you and I. And so when I think about these, uh, this week, I just think about this is our week, and we need uh, a renewed understanding of what the cross actually is. And um, I've, been, I've been meditating quite a bit on the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and uh, as we think about Jesus, who is he, where did he come from, what, what, what happened, why, the, why all the fuss, um, I, I'm often taken by this concept of the kingdom. And he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, he said, you know, it's not easy for someone to enter the kingdom, and I, and I think to myself, oh gosh, they're getting saved is a simple thing. But he's not referring to salvation, and even when he uses the term kingdom of heaven, we think he's talking about access to heaven. Uh, he's really not. We, we, he said it's actually easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich men to enter into the kingdom. And he said we're to seek first the kingdom. And, and these, all of these kingdom contexts for me um, remind me that there's another dimension of life for us. And, um, and, that, and that there's another, there's another world. And, and we're often, we're often contrast the, 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 about this, this the, the world, the spirit of the world, where to be in the world but not of the world. It's such an odd idea to me. Because what, what does that mean? No, I'm, I'm completely in the world and I'm completely of the world. We share all the same things as people in the world. We all have, well, a few, a handful of us have marriages and some of us, you know, get along and... I mean, we have, we have mortgages. We've got so many things that are like the world. So he's not referring to not being, not being of this world but was, was not being of this little blue marble. He's referring to a system and, and our, our involvement in a system, and which is the same is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's a system that, and, and formed by our beliefs and our actions. And so um, I'm quite taken by it. And I, I referred to Diedrich Bonhoeffer's quote how that uh, a, a king that would die on a cross is a king of a strange kingdom. 
And the kingdom of heaven is, it is strange in some ways because it's so different. In the kingdom of God, we actually find life by losing our life. Talk about counterintuitive. We actually are, we receive by giving. That's kingdom. That's different than earthly mentality. It's very different. We, we are able to ascend by descending. How does that work? Yeah, I know, it's a strange kingdom. And the cross is access to that dimension of the kingdom of God. And I think that this is largely misunderstood by followers, myself included. And so I think of this, this kingdom and, um, and how indeed it is strange and how the kingdom is not a democracy. How it's, you know, in effect, it's not very Canadian, the kingdom. And um, it's, where, it's where everyone is of equal value but not equal responsibility. Um, Fairness is not the highest value in the kingdom of God. Everyone gets some, but that some is not the same. So when you read about the talents and the minas and you see, hey, hey, how do you get more talents than me? And hey, we should be equal and we should kind of be Robin Hoodish and take from the poor and give to the rich. No, it went the other way, didn't it? That's right. Um, But that's what he did. He said, and this is what offends us, specifically our Canadian sensitivities, is he would take from the one who had the least and give it to the one that had the most. Hardly socialistic ideology. Hardly. He actually even would go this far as to say that if you don't work, you don't eat. Just bite my lip. Um, of course, you know, the danger of, of entitlement. Of course, such a challenge. Um, he would say that there was no limit to what we had access to if we were willing to be faithful. It's not what's fair, but what's faithful. If you're faithful with a little bit, that little bit I give you can actually turn into more than if you're faithful that little bit. So I I sort of like that, um, sort of. He says there's no limit to what faithfulness can bring. He reminds us that gifts are very different. We all get some, but they're not all the same. So while you're all equal in value and you're all loved equally, different demands or different responsibilities are required of you because some of us have been given or some of you have been given greater gifts or different gifts. Are you understanding the kingdom is strange indeed? It's strange. Um, he also said that we shouldn't, we shouldn't confuse gifts with value or even worse, maturity. He warned us in Matthew chapter 7, he says, just, just beware because there's actually wolves that look like sheep, sound like sheep, they might even smell like sheep, but they're not sheep, they're wolves. And he said, here's what you'll do. They'll, they'll do is they'll do actually great signs among you and even deliverance among you. So, but what we'd like to think in our evangelistic mentality is, oh, that person's more mature because he can get miracles. No, no, he said, don't do that because gifts aren't equal to maturity. And he told us to be aware of that. And instead of building your life around a somewhat of a, a fault on a false foundation, um, Jesus changed everything. He was, he was like a game changer, and whatever he did, whatever he saw the Father doing, he would do. John chapter 5 says that, and whatever he'd hear the Father say, he would say too. They lived in this beautiful, relational, this, this, this oneness that's actually magnificent. And so when we get to this, talk, as we talk about some of the, 
statements he made from the cross. One of them is, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because in, the, in his mind, they have always done everything together. Like, not just for a lifetime, but for eternity. And they are both together at creation. And they've done life, eternal life, for eons and probably billions, of, I don't know, but then there's a moment where all of a sudden they're separated. Most of us can hardly think, I mean, if you're separated from your child for a while and you go, oh, my heart. But just think of always being united in thought and mind and spirit and all of a sudden separation. It's, it's hard for us to imagine, I think. So he reminded us that in his kingdom, loving money could cost you true riches. So I just think today that Jesus was PC. Now by that I mean perfectly correct. He was above all political parties, wasn't he? He was outside of that because he was from a different kingdom. And he doesn't notice the, the racial or the sociological or the economical or the, any of the geographical boundaries that you and I do because he's of a different kingdom. <clears throat> he, he, even though he was perfectly correct, he was not politically correct. And he would do things that upset people. But here's, here's what we do see about him when the kingdom of God was evident. And he would say, the kingdom of God is now. And the kingdom of God is near. And he'd say, you can see the effects of the kingdom, but you don't even really know where it comes from. He's saying there's a dimensionality to his world that, that we are invited to by virtue of the cross. And we're told everywhere he went, he healed all that had diseases. So, and he said, pray that the kingdom comes on earth, just like it is in heaven. He would say that. And so, just so you know, my answer to people who think that healing is meant to teach us something, I tell them instantly, well, then don't go to the doctor, because you don't want to miss the lesson. Why would you go to get healed for something that God put on you? You wouldn't do that. But it's, you see that everywhere he went, wherever the kingdom went, and he established his precedence, everyone, everywhere was saved, healed, delivered, freed. He invited them into a brand new dimension of life. So you and I, uh, salvation and access to heaven is completely different than functioning within a kingdom dynamic. And he was, when we say king of kings, we mean he's king of every other king. And his name is above every other name. And that's why access to the kingdom is so important for us. Seven, he, seven times he spoke, and I'm going to talk about three today, and then we're going to, the, the response uh, to his death, burial, and resurrection is going to be one of the sacraments of the Christian faith, and that's baptism, where we picture death, burial, and resurrection. The seven, there were seven times Jesus spoke um, over a period of six hours uh, while on the cross. Um, these statements, I think, these seven statements are absolutely profound, but it's quite interesting to me when, I, when you read through the narrative, you'll see that something happened in the first or the last three hours that didn't happen in the first three hours. The last three hours on the cross were complete darkness. I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but when you think about this, the, the scenes, because we rarely see the cross shrouded in darkness. <laughs> the light of the world now has been engulfed with darkness. Is it even possible? It's a, it's, a, it's a stark and a sharp contrast. The first three hours, he was crucified at nine in the morning. And, but at noon, it says at noon, everything went black. Um, I, I am quite intrigued by that. But I have a hunch, from my perspective, I know why. Let me just, let me just look at that, this uh, again. <clears throat> the other thing 
that uh, some commentators would say that, well, there was a sandstorm, so everything went dark. Not, that would not be true. Nor was there an eclipse. That would not be true. It was Passover, and Passover needs to have a full moon. So this was, this was actually creation, all of creation, groaning for the Son of Man, the Creator, is now being killed. It's just, it's just it, the, the earth's response to that, I believe. So let me just, let me look at these, the, the three statements from Luke chapter 23. And, uh, and I think some of the most profound statements uh, beginning, I'm going to read verse 32. Uh, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Finally, they came to the place called the, the skull. Uh, and three were crucified there. Jesus in the center, two criminals on either side. And Jesus said, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. I think... I think to forgive is supernatural, and I think it's Christ-like. If we are going to be like Christ, we need to be forgivers, consistently forgiving everybody, everything. Uh, otherwise, we get trapped into earthly thinking rather than kingdom thinking. Well, here's what would have taken place. Basically, uh, the tense of that word would mean that he was repeatedly saying, forgive them. So, so it's quite likely when he got to the cross, he carried the beam, and he was being nailed, so he's, then he's... Then he's once he gets up there, he's being nailed to the cross, and, and he's, he's on the ground. Something would be like this. The Roman soldiers would be hanging over him, and they'd be nailing him, right? Something like that. That's, that kind of sounded like river dance, didn't it? But he, but he was really doing that. So here's what he would have been saying. He would have been looking up into their eyes and saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. It's repeatedly stated. Here's someone who was sinless, completely sinless, but he's about to bear the sin of the world. And here's what he does. He releases them, because this is what Christ is. He's a releaser. Uh, I, I, I think, first of all, the, the, I think we all know that the number one healer of all relational pain, and everybody deals with relational pain, and some of you may be sensing that right now. You're separated from someone you once loved, or there's been a betrayal or a, bra- a breach of loyalty or something. The only way to deal, or the number one way to deal with relational pain is forgiveness. And he, here when he says forgive them, he said they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Um, they, n- never was a statement more true. But he says here, or what, what I think of forgiveness, I think of three levels of forgiveness. One is detached forgiveness, where we reduce the negative feelings towards the offender, but there's no reconciliation. Reconciliation always requires two people. Forgiveness always requires one. And so most of us, we're actually more looking for relief than reconciliation. We just want our hearts to breathe again. (laughs) And so you want relief from these negative feelings they're feeling towards other people and or that or judgments that rise up in your heart. So that's one level of forgiveness detached. Another level would be limited forgiveness where we want to reduce the negative feelings. And then the relationship is partially restored. Um, I don't know if you found this the case or not, but forgiveness for me, depending on the level, uh, requires a bit of time. And so there's a time where you go and you grit your teeth and say, I'm going to forgive. And I forgive and I forgive and I forgive and I forgive. And there's a moment comes in your heart, you go, I think I could probably see them again. We're probably not holidaying together. But we might be able to have coffee. I might be able to look them in the eyes and say, I forgive you. And in your heart, be somewhat warm and cordial. But the next level of forgiveness, I think this is how Jesus functioned all the time, would be what I would call full forgiveness. And that's where there's a total cessation of all negative feelings towards the offender and the relationship is fully restored. Forgiveness, full forgiveness. 
Marriage is an, is an invitation, as I told so profoundly to Marco and Chelsea at their wedding. Very profoundly, in fact. I'm joking. <laughs> Marriage is an invitation to love and serve sacrificially. It's what it is. Um, the picture for me, which when I read about marital love, most of you understand the Song of Solomon was viewed by Jewish readers as erotic literature, and not just poetry, and so, or a picture of Christ and his church, but as marital love. And so Jewish boys were not able to read it until they're uh, at least 16 years of age. But there's a, in chapter 6, there's a most profound statement where Solomon, the consummate servant lover, is approaching Abishag. Uh, I just like to say Abishag. Um, Solomon approaches Abishag, and, um, and she rejects him. Well, it's, it's midnight. He's wanting midnight uh, sex. That's what he's wanting. And he's, I mean, you can read it. I'm not going to explain that. But, and she says, nah, you know, leave me alone. Can't you see it's late, right? Yet, yeah, biblically, the only reason for, for, for to say that you, not now is prayer, that's, right? And she, so that's legitimate, saying, I'm praying. But she wasn't. She was sleeping. And... Um, <laughs> Read it yourself. I'm just trying to make a couple comments about it. Um, the point was, the point was, he got over it, and he because his words would reflect that he was completely over it, and he began to praise her. Did you know that, like, in, when full forgiveness takes place, you're not just tolerating a person, but you're actually able to build and encourage them. And the, and, and the servant lover, um, um, it's I, th I think it's striking that these couple just got married and they're not on their honeymoon. I just can't. It's just striking for me. Um, we, well, I would never, I mean, I love church, but, um, <laughs> let's get on with the honeymoon. What the heck? <clears throat> anyway, bless you. Thank you for being here, everybody. Let me move along. Yeah, let me just, let me just, uh, identify forgiveness for you in terms that you may not, um, that may help you. Forgiveness frees you. Forgiveness is not approval for, of what has happened to you. It's not excusing what's happened to you. It's not justifying what's happened, it's not pardoning what's happened, and it's not reconciliation. It's not denying, it's not blindness, and it's not forgetting. For some, they carelessly throw out to me, Let's just forgive and forget. You know, I want to I never forget the lesson I've learned in this moment. Don't forget it. But just don't, you, you can deal with your heart and you can still have love and affirmation towards the other person and want the best for them. But if we forgive them because you come to that place, they didn't really know what they were doing. The chances are, that's how we want to be treated. Do you not want to live forgiven because you don't really, didn't really know how you hurt that other person? Isn't that how we want to live? The invitation to the golden rule has never been more current. So it's not forgetting. It's forgiveness is not pretending it didn't hurt. Uh, it's not saying that it never happened uh, or that we are refusing to take what happened not seriously. We're not doing that. Forgiveness doesn't do that. Forgiveness is being aware of what really happened, yet choosing to forgive anyway. It's choosing to not keep record of the wrong in an accusatory way. It's refusing to punish the other party. It's being merciful, gracious, and an inner condition and decision that removes all the bitterness and the roots and the structures that they try to build within your heart. When Jesus said, Father, release these people. He said, forgive them. And one of the, one of the New Testament um, verbs for forgiveness is, is to send away. I actually do that. Um, if you hang around our house, you would know I talk a lot uh, to myself. I really am talking to Jesus, I think, but she wonders, you okay up there? 
But one of the words, so here's what, here's what I do some, often. If I can't get freedom, I'll say, I send that offense away. I'll actually speak it out. And you know what starts to happen is it loses some hold and its root structure gets shaken within your heart. He said, he, really what Jesus was saying is release these people from the attachments and the after effects because they really don't know what they're doing or the complications that are going to incur in their future. He doesn't want their kids to live under a burden of offense. He wants the family free. This is the heart of our Savior on the cross. Let me give you two more of these, what took place here. The next thing he said was, uh, <clears throat> verse 42, I assure you the thief on the cross is asking for forgiveness. And uh, he says, um, I assure you today that you'll be with me in paradise, the holding place between, uh, before we enter into the eternal. Heaven is still being made, by the way. Um, I just love this, you know. I love that we can read that Jesus is that merciful. But if I were to tr- be true, in my heart, I actually would like to do something for my salvation. I might be different than you. You're less religious than I am. But I'd actually like to say, hey, you know, I gave a lot. I emptied my whole savings account out this one. Do remember that? Uh-huh. It's not going to give you access. <laughs> We'd like to do something. Am I, am I the only one that thinks that corruptly? That we really actually would like to do something. We would like to say, um, you know, our, our attendance in church has been like 100%. I'd like to do something. Uh, I've been on a couple mission trips. Like I've helped at some orphanage. I'd like to do something. But here, that wrecks all that. He, he's tied. He can't do anything. It's a beautiful picture of grace, isn't it? No, no, today, you, you, you want to be with me? Yeah, come on. Party on. Let's go to paradise. And the other guy grumbled, you know, I mean, it's just a beautiful picture. At the end of these baptisms, I'll offer anybody that wants to be baptized to be baptized, and you don't even have to take the baptism class. <laughs> it's a shocker. It's shocking. There wasn't there a catechism or something? Wasn't there some structure that he have to get through to get access to heaven? Apparently not. This is very distressing for me. I would like to be able to do something to earn a part of my salvation. He said, not nah, just believe. That's too easy. Oh, that's access to heaven. But in order to live here on earth, you're going to have to actually enter into another dimension of living and thinking and believing if you're going to want to function within the kingdom. So access to heaven is different than functioning here on earth. Um, the kingdom, uh, when we, when the, the, we, get, we get saved by believing what Christ has done for us in the cross. That, that's an instant thing that takes place instantly. And after the service, you're welcome to do that as well. We'll give you a, have a prayer team here that can pray for you. Uh, this last phrase um, that he said here in verse, uh, it'll be in verse 46. I like this. Verse 44, this is again in Luke 23 where it says, By this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. You should, I, just, I just stopped there thinking, What? How is that even possible? I, wouldn't you, I'd love to see like a National Geographic special on that. Just what took place. And, the, and it says, and here's what it says that's even more confusing. I'm, I'm just reading NIV here, but, or sorry, NLT, um, which is, you know, so-so, but it's okay. The light from the sun was gone out. How does the light from the sun ever get absorbed into, like, what happened? How is that even possible? And then suddenly a thick veil, the thick veil, they say it's about 18 inches. The thick veil that was hanging in the temple was torn apart. We're told in Matthew that it was ripped from top to bottom. Nobody could have done that from the bottom anyway, not even like a, a, a superhero. And then he said this, then Jesus shouted. It's important, uh, I always highlight verbs in my Bible. 
they're, 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 to me, they're, they're these action words. So, so he shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands, and with those words he breathed his last. Um, this phrase, it's quoted in Psalm 31 and verse 5. It was what Jewish children would pray before they went to sleep. He, and here's, <laughs> it's a beautiful picture of the sun, and it's like a, like a bedtime prayer. And saying, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He, you, you know what happened? Hey, like, we think, we, we, we sometimes, like, how, what killed him? Like, how did, what happened? But, but the phrase here that says he shouted, what's, what's interesting in that? He wasn't played out. He wasn't out of breath. You can't, you can't shout and be out of breath. He, he wasn't played out. He wasn't tired. He, yeah, he'd been through a horrific experience. But, but he was not out of energy because he shouted into your hands, I commit my spirit. He, he volunteered himself. This is intriguing to me because of this darkness. Did you know during the Passover, there was three hours of darkness as well? It was one of the curses. Do you remember? So the, there was also three hours of darkness. What's he doing? What's taking place here? My hunch is this. There had to be darkness because no human be, could be able to look on another human that was bearing the sin and the sickness and the disorders and the diseases and the depression and the discomfort of all of mankind, past, present, and future. To be able to look on someone who carried all of the diseases, all of the mental disorders, all of the, all of the schizophrenic disorders, HIV positive, every cancer possible, all of leprosy, every, every form of sore, sickness, virus, bacteria was on his body and out of the grace of God, he blinded out the people who were present because they wouldn't have been able to take it to look upon the son of man who Isaiah says bore our sickness in his body on the cross. Every one of your sicknesses, every one of your diseases, every, he says in Psalm 22 that every bone in his body was broken. Do you need a bone healed? Because in Christ, kingdom order, every bone can be healed. Every bone. Lady called me this week from Toronto. She says, our baby's in, in vitro and she has, her brain's not forming properly. I said, that's okay because Christ took every brain dysfunction and malady and you can begin to command that little baby and that brain to come back to life and to form properly and creatively finish what God authored for that life. I get a text back, really? Heck yeah! Because he's given you and I now dominion over all of creation. Yes, we couldn't look at him. Isaiah says we couldn't bear to look at him. He was bearing our sicknesses, our sorrows. Anybody feeling sorrow? He took all of our grief. He absorbed that into his body on the cross. And by his brokenness, you and I have sozo, complete healing, wholeness, prosperity, blessing, and favor. Because of the cross. We're going to baptize some people right now. Um, it's a picture of what Christ did for you and I. That, that I would say it's rare to find people who completely believe in what Christ purchased on the cross. I know because I think it's rare for people to believe Romans 14 really. Really. I mean, we like to give some acknowledgement, but when he says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, 
but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's referring to a quality and a caliber of life that we have access to with full permission to enter into our inheritance and every promise. And my, my wife and I have these um, um, robust discussions about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And well, Deuteronomy chapter 28 says we have to do all this and all this and all this before we get this. I said, no, no, Jesus did all that. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. If we believe what he's done, we can enter into all the blessing and all the favor. We live in a great time in a great country. And so today, as we look at this, what's pictured, what I believe for every one of these candidates is they will be transformed, not specifically by the water, but by the obedience to the kingdom principle that we were invited to be baptized. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.